If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open that to the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some for you. Um, just put up your hand. The ushers would love for you to have God's Word in your hands. And uh, so we, uh, we come here today on a new day, a new Lord's Day again, and uh, just want to welcome you. Um, like I said, my name is Quentin. We, uh, we are a new church here in New Brighton, new church in South Calgary. And uh, we've been launched since January 21st, and so we're excited that you are here, and, uh, and we'd love to meet you after. So come have coffee with us after as well in a treat. So a couple of weeks ago, about 33 of us gathered together for Secret Church. Uh, if you're at Secret Church, please raise up your hand. All right, so that's not quite 33, so they're not here, but uh, we pray for them. Um, but yeah, we had Secret Church in our home. Uh, also in Strathmore, in another home in, in South Calgary. And uh, the theme of Secret Church this year was cults and counterfeit gospels. And we spent about six hours that evening diving into God's word. What is the true gospel? You know, the true gospel of the true God. And looking at how many counterfeit cults and, gosp- and uh, false gospels have arisen over the centuries. Now, when David Platt started his teaching, he began with showing the audience an American dollar bill. So I think I have, I think I have a, a, a Canadian bill here. Of course, we don't have a, a dollar bill, but I've got a Canadian $50 bill. Now, this isn't very often in my hands. I never have cash. <laughs> I, uh, I had to go and find this. Yeah, I think I'll put that back in my pocket. But that's the, that's the real bill. That's the real thing. And there's many different safety things on these, these bills. Actually, Canadian money is a lot more secure than the American dollar bills. There's a lot more uh, little things like for the blind and, and invisible stuff and things under black lights that you can find in there to keep it, uh, keep it the true thing. Um, so what he was talking about was that we need to be looking at the true gospel in order to understand what is the false gospel. And so we're going to do a bit of that this morning as well. Uh, but the real defining point of the true gospel really comes down to what you believe about Jesus Christ and what he means for your salvation. Uh, yesterday, I was sharing the gospel with a guy. Uh, we were doing a community project, and uh, one of the guys working there was from an interfaith, uh, uh, the interfaith food bank. And uh, so I was just assuming that he was a Christian. And I uh, started talking to him and uh, asked him if he goes to church and where he goes to church. He says, I don't go to church. Uh, and so I started digging in a little bit about that, um, asked him what he believed. And really, he, he really didn't believe in much. He said, I believe that God's up there. He's looking down on me. Uh, and, and that's about it. Uh, he grew up in the Catholic Church and really didn't like all of the things uh, going along with that, the rituals and, and the rules that were going along with the Catholic Church. And so he walked away from that. He said he still believed in God. But then I asked him what he believed about Jesus, because that's the defining point. What do you believe about Jesus? How do you believe, or what do you believe about salvation? How are you saved from your sin? And his reply was, well, I think it's just a combination of the good things that you do. You'd be a good person, right? And uh, if you go out into the streets today and you talk to anybody, 95%, if not more, will tell you that they're going to get to heaven because of the good things that they do. And so I asked this, this man, I said, what do you think about Jesus' words when he said, there is no one who does good, not even one, and that all of our works are like filthy rags, and he just looked at me puzzled, and he said, you know, I've never heard that before, and so this is, this is our calling, people, to be going and sharing the gospel with, with the people in the world, telling them the truth, they need to hear the truth, 
And so today we're going to be looking at the true gospel, looking at false gospels from the book of Colossians. It really comes down to whose righteousness are you to proclaim? Whose righteousness do you claim as you stand before the Lord in the end? Are you claiming a righteousness of your own, a righteousness that comes from your works, a righteousness that comes from your own sacrifice, a righteousness that comes from experience? Whose righteousness are you claiming before the Lord? And we in this church and the historic faith hold to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. It's Christ alone. So as we jump back into the book of Colossians, I want to just remind you of where we are. Uh, The first chapter was really the theological foundation for everything in the rest of the book. And then chapter 2, it starts to flip out into application. How do we start to apply this to our life? And so you see on the screen here, uh, chapter 2, verses um, 6 to 10, uh, was talking about how to walk. How to walk. And so through those verses, we, we discovered that we need to walk with our feet planted, our feet rooted in Christ, rooted in the truth, uh, walking with our eyes open, having Christ-focused discernment, walking with our hearts full, understanding that God covers us and he fills us, Our hearts are empowered and encouraged in the gospel. That's how we walk. And then we moved on to how to think last week. How to think. Proclaiming the truth to ourselves. Preaching the gospel to ourselves as we're walking on that path. How are we to be thinking? And we learned that we need to be thinking that, reminding ourselves that we have been fully liberated in Christ. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness. We are entirely new. We are born again. We are resurrected. Uh, We are completely forgiven all of our sins, and we are totally triumphant because we are in Christ. It's not because of what we have done, it's what he has done. And then today we're going to be looking at uh, what to avoid, looking at false gospels, false gospels we see here in the church of Colossae, and we're going to be looking at legalism, mysticism, and asceticism, or some say asceticism. So we're going to be diving into that, and uh, just want to remind you that we are about God's word. We open it up, we look at every verse, we discover it and preach it, and we want to know how to walk. We want to know how to walk in Christ. So verses 16 to 23 today is going to teach us that we need to be aware of the false gospels that will come into our path, false gospels that the human heart is prone to following, false gospels that teach that Jesus is not enough, like like driving down a freeway and you see these off-ramp signs promising a better destination or a better way to get there. False gospels will be coming at us. And if they are followed, they will lead to death. And so just like checking these counterfeit gospels against the perfect gospel, today Paul reveals to the Colossian church and to us three fatal anti-gospels. Three fatal anti-gospels to avoid as we walk in Christ. So let's start in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. 
If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we need you. We need you to illuminate the scriptures to us. We ask your, your Holy Spirit to be working mightily in us today, revealing the truth to us through your word. I ask that you would move me aside and you would preach your word to your people through your word. And uh, I trust that uh, as we've all come in here with, with life attached to us this week, uh, we come in with sin, we come in with sorrow, we come in with suffering, all kinds of life upon us. And we pray that we would come that and bring that before you, and lay it at your feet knowing that you are able you are able to heal us you're you're able to change us into the image of your son you're able to make us grow in holiness as we as we submit to your plan and so today we today we submit to your word lord and we trust you in all of it we pray this in Christ's name amen all right so the first false gospel that we're going to talk about this morning we're going to examine is the the false gospel of legalism it's the Jesus plus rules gospel, and we need to reject the Jesus plus rules gospel. He says in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the first thing I want you to notice again, we see this always, that there's a therefore, and we're going to ask the scripture, what's that therefore, therefore? And it's there to show us that if we are in truly in Christ, we are authentic Christians. We have the supreme Savior, Jesus Christ. We are complete in Him. Remember, we are both covered by Christ and we are filled by His Spirit. We're covered and filled. We have a full gospel, a full salvation. We are spiritually full in Jesus Christ and in Him Alone, And so building upon that foundation, Paul calls us to let no one pass judgment on us with question or food or drink, festival, new moon, and Sabbath. That those who have been truly saved, those who truly understand the gospel, are not to fall in the trap of someone else adding rules to our faith, the faith that we have already received adding religious observances and rituals on top of this full and complete work of Jesus Christ. Now, these religious observances mentioned by Paul have a very Jewish flavor, don't they? Remember, the Colossian church would have had a significant number of Jewish people. Uh, the Jews lived all over the known world at that time in the diaspora. And uh, remember that in the Old Testament, God gave the Jews laws, Laws according to what they could eat, how, are, how they are to worship, what day they are to set aside for rest and for worship. And in fact, this phrase here, this festival, new moon and Sabbath, appears many times, even in that order in the Old Testament. First Chronicles 23.31, 31.13, Ezekiel 45.17, and other places as well. The Jews were reminded of their laws and their rituals and that they were required by God to be keeping these so that they would be distinct from the world, and they would be separate. 
The festivals and the new moon would have referred to the celebration of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, Feast of Weeks, all celebrations prescribed by God. The food and drink would be referring to the Jewish dietary laws. Jews were required to abstain from certain unclean foods like pork and and shellfish and shrimp, insects, scavenger birds and others. And then we see the Sabbath here. The Sabbath was referred to as, as a command given by God to rest on the seventh day as he rested after he created the, the heavens and the earth. And so obviously, some of the false teachers in Colossae were, were trying to bring these laws back. And then they were judging others who were not keeping them. And so let me ask you this morning, with, with thinking of the old laws, the the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, do you believe that as Christians in the New Covenant, we should still be keeping these new moons, these festivals, these dietary restrictions, these Sabbath laws? Should we continue in observing these Jewish religious practices given by God to the Jews, requiring anyone who calls themselves a Christian to be keeping these as well? What do you think? Is it something we should keep on doing? Well, if you answered no, you're going to get an extra cookie after church because you're exactly right. Let me tell you why. It's because we have God's full and complete revelation of Jesus Christ from the Scriptures. It's full. It's complete. He has fulfilled all of the laws of the Old Testament Scriptures. We no longer just have these shadows that Paul is talking about. We have Jesus Christ who has fulfilled it. They were a shadow of him. We now have the New Testament. We have the clear and sufficient record of the gospel. We have the new covenant made in Jesus' blood. And so when God himself came down, when Jesus came down to live the perfect life for you and to die the death that you deserve, he fulfilled all of the Old Testament ceremony and law. The reason God gave the Jews all of these religious practices was not so that they could be saved by them. They were not saved by them. They weren't saved by their rule keeping. They were given so that they could look forward to the one who would fulfill them perfectly. It was a shadow of the one to come. And that's why Paul says here in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They are fulfilled perfectly. Paul says in Galatians 3, 24 to 26. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But these false teachers were teaching otherwise. They were imposing Old Testament practices on this Colossian church. They were pushing the Jesus plus rules gospel. Therefore, what they were saying was Jesus' work was not enough. You had to do more. You had to add rules to your salvation. You had to work to gain grace. And Paul's message to the Colossians and to us this morning is that we must reject this. We must reject the Jesus plus rules gospel. 
before Christ came, and even after Christ came, the, the Jews were experts at adding laws. For example, on top of the original commandments and ceremonial laws given by Moses, the Jews also had other writings. They had the Talmud, which was how they were to interpret the Mosaic law. They also had an oral tradition called the Mishnah, where they had a list of 613 mitzvot's commandments. They also had Sabbath laws, which are, are laws on top of the fifth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. So they were not, not to be working on the Sabbath. And these laws would define how many steps they could walk on a Sabbath before it was called working, <coughs> how to build a fire without working on the Sabbath, how to extinguish a fire without working on the Sabbath, how to salt meat, how to tie something without it being considered work, um, how to handle tools. Now, you couldn't even pack a needle in your pocket because you might have to you know, sew a, a, a button on or something. That would be considered work. You couldn't touch a hammer, but you could touch a hammer if you had to crack a nut. So I don't know. The, the laws were, many of them were added, and on and on and on. And actually, they still do that to this day. There's neighborhoods in New York and where they have attached them together with, with strings. Uh, if you attach these homes together, you can walk certain distances and still not be uh, working. So they're still doing it to this day. And so I want to ask you this morning, as much as we know that Christians don't have to follow uh, these old ceremonies and, and, and rituals to be saved, what do we do that is similar? Do we still do this today? Do we still bring our own laws to the table do you think we might still impose our own regulations? Even it might be a spoken one or even an unspoken one. How about telling each other things that we should be doing, adding our own laws? You know, I think we do. I think we do. We still try to uh, impose man-made ideas on what the Christian life should look like. Things you can't be doing, things you should be doing. Now, I'm not talking about those things that are, are forbidden in Scripture. The Bible is clear. Sin is sin, right? We're not to be walking in sin. Things that are labeled sin, things clearly marked out by God's word, we need to hold each other accountable to. Walking in obedience together. Jesus said himself, he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And so the law is still good for us, the original Mosaic law, showing us the character of God, showing us what godly character looks like. But we're not to be adding man-made rules to the law. Here's some examples for you of how um, we have added to uh, the gospel over the years. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't uncommon for a Christian to be, to be labeled worldly if, if they went to a movie theater or if they went to a dance. Maybe their cousin was getting married and, and they got up and, and danced. Um, some churches I even know from... Uh, our hometown, they would make you sign covenants that, that you would not dance. How about how we dress? Should I be wearing a suit? Should ladies be wearing dresses? In some churches today, there is, there's codes of, of how to dress. Yeah, we, we, we embrace modesty. But we're not going to tell you how long your skirt needs to be, how long your hair needs to be. What would we do if somebody, some, somebody who wants to hear the good news walks in the door and they're dressed very immodestly? Are we going to shoot them daggers and, and roll our eyes at them? No, we're not. How about drinking alcohol? Drinking alcohol. Is, is a glass of wine or a glass of beer condemned in Scripture? 
Now, what is condemned is getting drunk on wine, right? Alcohol is always treated as wisdom in the Bible. And it might be wise for you to never touch alcohol. And that's good for you. But the, the minute that we start to impose that on somebody else, we're starting to create laws that you're giving them and you're imposing your own man-made rules. How about musical preferences in the church? Should it be hymns only? Should it be a more contemporary, right? Preferences made into laws. Um, one that you might not be thinking about and we've run into is, is the idea of schooling for your family, right? We're a homeschooling family. We've, we've homeschooled. Um, but we've, we've heard of, of churches uh, where if you're not a homeschooling family, you're just some kind of radical person off the beaten path, right? You're, you're not really bringing your kids up in the Lord, and, and we definitely do not believe in that. So it comes down to what we do with our preferences. We may have a certain preference, and it may be really good for you. You've been convicted by Scripture, and you've been trying to apply it to your life. And you're saying to, your, to yourself, like, I, I want to control something. I want to practice some self-control. And so I'm going to abstain from this. And that's very good for you to make those choices. But the minute that you start to take that and apply it to somebody else and require that of them, you are passing judgment on one another. So, friends, we have to be really careful. We have to be really careful that we are not adding man-made rules to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful that we're not judging one another based on our own preferences. Yes, we have primary doctrines. We're going to stand on our primary doctrines. Clear examples of sin in Scripture. And that needs to be called out among us. But when you judge someone based on something secondary, you step into an area that's not yours. That's not your area. You are not God. James 2.14, or sorry, 4.12, says there is only one lawgiver and judge, and you are not him. And so we need to be aware of how our own hearts are also prone to wanting to add to the gospel. When we were going through Secret Church, David Platt said this and, and just resonated with me. He said, when you add anything to the gospel, you lose everything in the gospel. Paul wants us not to forget that Jesus is the substance. He is the object he is our purpose. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Don't add anything to him and don't take anything away. Trust in him. And so that was our first anti-gospel. We need to reject the temptation to promote a Jesus plus rules gospel. Next, we need to refuse the Jesus plus experience gospel. Refuse the Jesus plus experience gospel. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on a detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So in this section, Paul highlights the danger of adding mystical experiences to the gospel. And he starts by encouraging the Colossians to stop listening to the false teachers. He says, let no one disqualify you. This term disqualify comes from um, that, that judgment theme again. This Greek word is often used uh, speaking of someone like a referee, uh, someone who could penalize you. 
and rob you from the prize of the game. So we see, again here, we see this word asceticism, and what I'm going to ask you to do with that right now is to put a pin in that until we get to the next section, because we're going to talk about worship of angels and going on in detail about visions, being puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Angel worship, visions are all extra experiences being touted by these false teachers as additional, on top of additional mystical experience practices on top of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Angel worship and visions. It seems angel worship was a pretty big problem in the area of Colossae and Laodicea at that time. Uh, one commentator says that there was, a, there was even a church council put in place in AD 363 to deal with the problem of angel worship. It was even recorded in, in AD 739 that people were worshiping the archangel Michael. And what's so concerning is that the, the angel worship is forbidden in Scripture. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan to, to bow down to him, to worship him, and he would receive the whole world. How did Jesus reply to Satan? He said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's, it's forbidden. Throughout Scripture, as we, we see people encountering angels, they would usually fall down in fear, and they would be tempted to worship them. In fact, when the Apostle John had the vision in Revelation 22, 8-9, the angel replied, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And then along with worship of angels, Paul warns us about those who are going on in details about visions. People claiming to see things in the supernatural world, to receive special revelation from God. Now, it's not exactly clear um, what they were talking about here, what they were claiming to see. Some commentators say it might be similar to, to what John was seeing in Revelation or what they were touting to have, uh, claiming to have been seen or merely insight into the heavenly realm as they practice self-denial practices. Um, but whatever the case may be, the problem was that these special mystical experiences that the people were proudly boasting in was, was leading to pride in the church and division in the church. Paul says that they were puffed up. They were, they were proud. They were arrogant without reason in, in his sensuous mind, literally meaning fleshly mind, worldly thinking, not holding fast to the head. Jesus is the head of the church from whom the whole body, the church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So what's abundantly clear here is that these supernatural experiences with angels, these heavenly visions, they were not uniting the body of Christ, but they were actually tearing it apart. And that should cause us to stop and think. Think seriously about ourselves and ask the question, if these mystical experiences are really from God, humility would be abounding. If people were really experiencing special revelation from God, it would be unifying the church rather than tearing it apart. If God was really using angels to speak to the church, they would be exalting Jesus rather than wanting to worship the angels. 
So we need to refuse the Jesus plus mystical experience gospel because it is a false gospel. And we've just seen that it puffs people up. It creates pride. It creates division. It teaches a gospel that Jesus' work is not enough. You need to do something more. You need to experience something more to reach that spiritual plane of true Christianity. Something higher, something mystical. So friends, if you walk into a Christian bookstore today, I know that's becoming more and more rare. I couldn't even think of a Christian bookstore in our, in our town anymore, in our city. It's really rare. I usually order books online. But if you're walking through the aisles, you'll see that this problem is still alive and well today. All kinds of people are claiming to receive spiritual insight into the heavenly realms. Many different people are professing and promoting a gospel that in order to connect with God, you need to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in order to be delivered from your sin. So then to get there, you need to have a mystical experience to do that. If you read many books that are labeled Christian, you'll find that many people are claiming to see angels, claiming to hear special messages from God. All kinds of people have written books about traveling to and from the heavenly realms. One young boy by the name of Alex Malarkey, and I did not make up his last name. Alex Malarkey. The boy you see in that picture. Back in 2004, him and his father were in a, in a horrible car accident. His spine was severed from his skull, leaving him paralyzed, and he was in coma for, for two months. And when this six-year-old boy woke up from his coma, he, he began to tell stories about traveling to heaven, meeting angels, meeting Satan. And so together with his father, they wrote a book about these mystical experiences. It was called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. It quickly became a New York Times bestseller, selling over a million copies. Now, this book is just one of many similar books today being put out by Christian publishers. 90 Minutes in Heaven, 23 Minutes in Hell, Heaven is for Real, Heaven, Angels, and Life Again. Millions and millions of books are being sold in this area. Based on Christian mystical experiences, and this boy, Alex Malarkey, as he grew older, and he started reading the Bible for himself. He was convicted about the story that he told. He was convicted about the, the way that the publishers approached him and wanted to sell this story. And then in 2015, Malarkey, in his own blog, confessed that he didn't go to heaven. He said in his own blog post, I did not go to heaven. I said I went because I thought I would get attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read a Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. So let me ask you, why are we so attracted to these fanciful, mystical stories? Why are we so tempted to seek them out? Why are we, we so prone to opening up our wallets and buying this stuff? Why are we desiring some experience on top of the sufficient word of God? Our hearts want it. Our sinful hearts desire that. We desire stuff that's outside of Scripture. And so we need to be watching our hearts. We can be easily drawn in when we're not discerning 
We have to remember that, that Jesus Christ is the mystery of the gospel, but he's not mystical. He is the mystery of the gospel revealed. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says about Jesus. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all so he created the world. God has given us everything we need in his all-sufficient word. And the gospel is complete. It is the full revelation of Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture. Friends, if you, if you look at any church history, you can see these counterfeit gospels and cults that have arisen, false teaching throughout the centuries. And you'll know that many cults had begun by the profession of seeing and having some mystical experience. I'll just, I'll just name the, uh, the Mormon cult. Joseph Smith was claiming to, to see an angel and, and receive revelation from him. We have to remember that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants people to be looking outside of God's word, to seek that which is mystical. And this is the world where he has full influence, where he has power. And he wants to create pride and division in the church. And he wants nothing more than you to believe the false gospel that Jesus is not enough. That you need something else. Friends, we need to refuse this Jesus plus mystical experience gospel. We need to hold fast to Christ. Like Paul says, he is the head of the church. Don't search outside his body. Go to the head. We need to grow in him together as a church. And Paul says that this is growth that is from God. And then we see a third anti-gospel, Paul warning us about. We need to be watching out for as we're walking in this, this path of the Christian life. And it is this, resist the Jesus plus sacrifice gospel. Resist the Jesus plus sacrifice gospel. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So remember, I asked you to put a pin in the word asceticism. We're going to be talking about that now. Here it shows up again in verse 22, where Paul reveals more about what it is. So this word being translated asceticism in the original language has both, both a positive and a negative definition. In the context of Scripture at this time, the, the positive definition is, is really humility, uh, to exercise, to discipline. But in the negative the way that Paul is using it here has a sense of false humility or harsh treatment of your body. The NASB translates this word most accurately as self-abasement, which would be the act of depriving yourself something or inflicting pain upon yourself in order to experience and grow in your spirituality. And so with that in mind, we see 
Paul saying, if Christ, we died to the elemental spirits of the world, meaning just like we learned last week, we have been liberated from the domain of darkness, the bond of darkness. We are free in Christ. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, meaning that you're living like you're still dead. Do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. Talking about that these are from the world. And so we're getting some more insight into this false teaching at Colossae. They were teaching that if, if these people really wanted to know God and to experience his fullness, they needed to go to the furthest extremes. It's more than just following Jewish laws. They needed to practice self-humiliation, self-deprecation, extreme self-denial in order to reach that higher plane of Christianity. This would mean that some would make vows of poverty. They would rid themselves of all wealth. This is when the idea of, of the monk began. Um, what, there would be extreme fasting at times in order to try to receive something more from God. Some people would isolate themselves, starving themselves from food in order to induce some spiritual experience like we just talked about. Some would inflict pain on themselves to try to identify with Christ's affliction on the cross. In fact, as you study church history, you see that this was a pervasive problem in the church. One commentator in his, his commentary on Colossians says, Anthony, the founder of Christian monasticism, never changed his vest or washed his feet. That was just a, a simple act of asceticism. But then he says, he was outdone, however, by Simon, I want to say Stylites, but I think it's Stylites or something like that. Simon, who spent the last 36 years of his life atop of a 50-foot pillar. Even Martin Luther, before discovering the truth of justification by faith, nearly wrecked his health through asceticism. And did you know that people still do this today? Professing Christians around the world still practice forms of asceticism. They're trying to experience their faith in a greater way. Some people today still lock themselves away in isolation, hoping to receive some kind of mystical experience. Some force themselves to stay up all night in prayer in hopes to, to gain some kind of spiritual ins insight. Some practice celibacy. Some choose not to marry. Some still pursue poverty. Some abstain from certain types of foods. Some even go to the extreme of seeking pain and suffering for the purpose of identifying with Christ. And I've even seen a video in South America of, of people crucifying themselves to crosses. But the main problem is that these practices are not taught and they are not condoned in God's word. Christians are called to, to train themselves for the purpose of godliness. We are to get alone, and we are to pray. Praying at all times in the Spirit. We're also given the spiritual discipline of fasting, which is abstaining from food for a period of time for the purpose of prayer. These are all good. These are condoned. They're instructed by God. But they are given to us as a response of God's grace, not a means to receiving anything. They're not meant to bring us to some higher spiritual experience, even when it comes to fasting. 
Nobody's supposed to know that you're fasting. It's between you and the Lord. And the purpose of fasting is so that you'll spend a season of time more devoted to prayer. Not that you're trying to twist God's arm or think that if you fasted long enough, God, he just has to answer my prayers. No, fasting is a sacrificial response to the grace of God. To spend more time abiding in him, abiding in the Lord, seeking his will. Not for earning anything, not to receive anything. But radical self-denial, on the other hand, is a practice borrowed from other worldly religions. If you look at religions across this planet, they all practice some form of of ascetic uh, practices. And Paul's answer for that is that we need to refuse this. We need to refuse the Jesus plus sacrifice gospel. He says that these practices are from human rules and teaching. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They look like you're doing something really spiritual, right? In promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So friends, Paul wants to remind us here that, that salvation is all of grace. It's all of grace. And that continuing life in Christ is also all of grace. Growing in holiness. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift that we don't, um, we don't receive in and of ourselves. It comes to us outside of ourselves. It's something that we actively pursue, but we passively receive. Grace is everything. Grace is full. Grace is born in Jesus Christ alone. Grace is everything. We could never earn it. All of our works apart from God are like filthy rags. They are of no value. You and I need to be aware of these false anti-gospels that we're going to be tempted to look at. Even in our own minds, we're tempted to go there and create some of our own. The problem is, is that it fatally divides the church and it leads you astray. And so we need to resist this Jesus plus sacrifice gospel. We could never sacrifice ourselves enough. We could never do enough good. We could never believe hard enough. This is all of grace, glorious grace, free grace in Jesus Christ. But instead, Paul calls us to hold fast Hold fast to the head. Hold fast to the substance. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. It's a Jesus plus nothing gospel. It's all of him. He did it all. He loved you so much that he lived the perfect sinless life for you. And he died the death that you deserved. That's all of grace. God loves you so much. And his grace cannot be earned. Even as Christians, as we're trying to grow in holiness, we follow what the word says. We don't add to it. We don't bring in worldly ideas. We follow what he wants us to do. Grace has been earned for you. We all were headed on a road to hell. God stepped in with relentless, radical love and grace. And he finished it once for all upon the cross. And he died. He truly, really died for you. More than that, he rose 
He rose from the grave. So run to Jesus this morning. Repent of your sin. Trust in his finished work. Do not add anything to the gospel. He is the God of all grace. Lord, we thank you for this great reminder of your grace. That we need not add anything to it. It is full in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Help us to to run from hearts that want to work for your grace. Help us to run from hearts that want to experience something outside of you. Help us to run from hearts that just don't want to follow at times. Lord, we trust you. We need you today. And so we thank you for the reminder of your grace, that we do not need to be torturing ourselves with some extreme self-denial to experience or gain anything. You have done it all in Jesus Christ. That the nails that were nailed in his hands and his feet were nailed there for us, and it is finished. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is sufficient, that it is everything that we need for life and godliness. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that reveals the truth to us. We pray that this week we would apply this deeper into our hearts and that you would transform us into the image of Christ. And we pray this in his name.